And I'm not sure, but I think we are actually finally beginning to stumble out of these events, which have to be the most pivotal events in our recent history. I know they will continue to be. It feels like we're living in a movie. I envision this day coming soon, I hope, when we all kind of wander out on our porches together, and the sun is so bright because we've all been in our underground bunkers in quarantine, and we look around and we see our neighbors and everyone's outside together. We flood the streets, we break into song, and we can be together again. I believe that day is coming soon. It, it just has been wild lately. I have swung wildly from one extreme emotion to another. I feel like several weeks ago, when the CDC first came out and said, everyone needs to stay home, quarantine, stay at home orders. I was like, okay, so you're telling me that I don't have to go anywhere, um, that I can stay in my sweats all day and binge Netflix. I actually like staying at home. Turns out I totally rock at quarantine. And for the most part, I really have had just this general sense that everything is going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Things are a little crazy outside, but here at home, I've just, for the most part, felt okay. Now, I have had moments of intense fear creep in, sending my husband off to work in the ER or receiving him home after a long shift, unsure of exactly what he had been exposed to. I've had moments of being completely overwhelmed at trying to help my kids with online school. And I have had moments of what felt like insanity. One day I got home from the grocery store, I set all the groceries out as I'm putting them away, and I suddenly was overcome with the thought of how many germs could be on each and every item in my kitchen. And so I got out Clorox wipes, I wiped every single item down, put them all away, and I'm just kind of standing there looking at our pantry and all our things. And my husband walks by and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just saved all of our lives is what I'm doing, or I have lost my mind, I'm not sure, it's one or the other. I have totally convinced myself a few times that I've contracted COVID-19, like at the slightest cough or like body ache, I'm taking my temperature. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, but I have done it. It just feels like there aren't any handles to hold on to in literally every area of my life. And so sometimes fear is enough. And I'm like, fear, okay, you'll do. Those are some handles that I can feel. And so I grab onto those. And in those moments of deep fear, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to just sort of shut down. I feel overwhelmed. I don't really know what to focus on. I just want to numb out, not talk to anybody. I want to shut the world out, and I want to lock the door behind me. I think we'll see the disciples experience a moment like this in the text today. We're continuing our series, Just One More Thing where we're looking at these few key moments after Jesus' death and resurrection where he showed himself one more time, as if to say, just one more thing before I go. We should note these moments. After something as amazing as death and resurrection, you'd think Jesus would just drop the mic right there, but he doesn't. He comes back for a few more things. So these moments must be really important. 
we want to spend some time walking through each one of these because the one more thing that Jesus says ends up being really important for the person or people that he says it to. This week we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. This is a familiar story to a lot of us. This is where Jesus appears to the disciples in the locked room and later to Thomas, who happens to miss that first miracle appearance. And the things that Jesus says to them changes their lives forever. Let's take a look. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are all together in a house, presumably the same house they were in when Mary Magdalene came to them earlier with the news that she had seen Jesus. And they have the doors locked, doors plural. So there was likely a front door that they had locked, and then they had also locked the door to whatever room that they were all in. I feel like this was me in my darkest moments of this pandemic. Lock all the doors, hide your kids, hide your wife, stockpile the toilet paper. Things are not okay. Things are not okay for the disciples either. Their rabbi has just been crucified by the Jewish authorities. The disciples have every reason to fear the authorities would come after them next, the followers of this rabbi. They had all these hopes and dreams of what Jesus' physical presence in their lives and in their world would mean for them. A week prior to this, they were welcoming Jesus into the city on Palm Sunday. Crowds of people shouting his name, Hosanna, our king is here. Only to find he allows himself to be captured and killed. Why would he leave them like that? Then that morning, Mary Magdalene was claiming to have seen him alive. What is happening? I totally understand why we find them this way. I can imagine the conversations going on behind those locked doors. I'm sure there was a lot of fear and confusion. And maybe these little flutters of hope, if Mary was indeed right and Jesus was alive, I bet the disciples' thoughts and emotions were swinging as wildly as mine have these last few months, even more so. And this is what is so beautiful. It's then that Jesus shows up. Jesus knows the vulnerable place in our hearts that is created when fear and faith are at war with one another. He knows how fertile that ground is. So this is when he chooses to show up to them and he plants something solid in their hearts. These are his words. Peace be with you. Now, this was a common Jewish greeting, shalom. However, Jesus had previously promised his disciples his peace. Just a few days prior, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, the time is coming when you will all scatter and you will leave me alone. 
but I won't be alone. The Father is with me. And he says, I tell you this because you are going to have trouble in this world, but you can have peace in me because I've overcome the world. So this greeting, peace be with you, isn't really just a greeting at all. Jesus is risen. The great I am has just showed up in the room where all the doors remain locked. The burning bush, the alpha and omega, God's great rescue plan, realized in the flesh and blood, crucified and risen Messiah standing before them. Never has this common word shalom been so filled with meaning. Jesus is not just wishing peace on them in a greeting. Jesus is imparting his peace. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. They were filled with joy when they saw their Lord. Now Luke's account of this moment says that at first the disciples were filled with terror because they were afraid they were seeing a ghost. Jesus showed them his wounds, and their fear turned to faith, and they are filled with joy at the sight of their Lord. This quick turn of emotions from terror to joy is another indication that they just haven't been greeted with a peaceful message. Peace has been given to them. And the very next thing that Jesus says is, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. This is a commissioning Jesus is sending the disciples on their mission. If I had been there, I would have been like, whoa, 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 Jesus, you just got here. We thought you were dead, and now you're alive and you're showing up. Like, can we just hang on a minute with the sending business? Let's just be together a minute. But this is why Jesus came. He didn't come for us so that we could just sit with him behind locked doors in our homes or in our churches and just be together. He came so we could be on mission just as he was. That's our purpose. Now, fellowship is certainly a part of that, but the mission is also so much more. Jesus has been showing them this purpose and how they can fulfill it. He's been the example in word and in action how to accomplish the work of God on earth. And that work doesn't look like Jesus riding into town and overthrowing the authorities to reign over man's kingdom. That work looks like bringing God's kingdom to earth. And God's kingdom doesn't look or operate like the kingdoms of men do. Jesus has ushered in a new law, one that's good news for everyone. And the mission is to carry this good news to the world around us. Jesus is passing this mission on to the disciples. He's passing it on to us. So Jesus is commissioning the disciples, and he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus had said so much to the disciples already about the Spirit that would come as a special gift to his people, and here he breathes on them to receive it. The Greek word emphasao means to breathe on. This same verb and form is used in Genesis when God breathes his spirit into Adam at creation, which brings Adam to life as a living being. 
There's so much connection between this moment and creation. When God came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, there was an evening breeze. Here, on the evening of the new creation's first day, Easter, a different breeze is felt. I imagine the disciples are also brought to life in this moment with Jesus, just as Adam was brought to life in the garden with God. Are we then not also brought to life as the same spirit dwells in us? But not brought to life just for life's sake, brought to life so we can do for the world around us what Jesus has been doing in word and in action, announcing and demonstrating God's kingdom, which is indeed very good news. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus' mission has been the model for the disciples' mission. And I have to tell you, we just finished recording our third season of our podcast, where we talk with our very own PRC people who are living this out. The season is called Sent. You don't want to miss that. Back to this evening. What an evening we just walked through. Talk about a can't-miss moment with Jesus. Well, poor Thomas. He missed this entire evening. He was the only disciple who wasn't there that night. We don't know where he was. We know that Thomas was a devout follower of Jesus. Thomas loved Jesus, and he was the disciple who boldly spoke up to the group when Jesus' life was in danger before he was actually killed. Thomas was the one who said, let's go too. Let's die with Jesus. Poor guy gets a bad rap with the whole Doubting Thomas nickname. Him being absent on this big night probably does not help his cause. But I want to give the guy a break. I try to imagine being in his shoes, having totally fallen in love with Jesus and everything that Jesus stood for, choosing to leave his own life behind to follow his rabbi. He gave Jesus everything he had to give him, only to find Jesus would choose what looked like giving up and giving in. Was everything that Jesus had said and done a lie? Did any of it really even matter? It's likely that Thomas's faith was too battered to show up with his friends that night. So he withdrew from his community. And I don't blame him for that. But we miss out on a lot when we do that. Isn't that such a common response for us when it comes to disappointment? We do this all the time, seeking out loneliness instead of togetherness, it never serves us well. We can experience God in fellowship with others like we will never be able to do on our own. His fullness is expressed through each other. He seems kind of tricky that way, doesn't he? The very things that can cut us the deepest, other people, are the very things he designed us to need the most. But Thomas was not there that night. He missed it. So the disciples go find him and they tell him what happened. And Thomas doesn't believe them. You may know Thomas's famous response, unless I see his wounds, unless I touch his wounds, I won't believe it. And that's the moment that earned Thomas his nickname. Well, wouldn't you know? Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, 
Jesus was standing among them. He said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. I love this. Jesus pursues Thomas in a very personal way. Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said about not believing until he touched Jesus' wounds. So Jesus shows Thomas his wounds and even invites him to touch them. And I love this up-close and personal invitation, even intimate, especially in light of the world we're living in now, the world of face masks and hand sanitizers and social distancing, a world where you wouldn't dare get close to someone else's wound, much less reach out and touch it. Jesus, he's not messing around. He wasn't messing around when he gave his life and let his body be beaten and broken. Those wounds are for us. And as uncomfortable as it can be for us, we've got to see them up close. We've got to let his blood stain us a little bit if we want it to change anything. And this changes everything for Thomas. Thomas then declares one of the most profound statements of saving faith that we see in the Bible. My Lord and my God. Thomas is the first person in this book to look at Jesus of Nazareth and say, God. And his using my twice in this declaration just shows how deeply, personally, Thomas felt this. My Lord and my God. Our author, John, has been leading us to this moment from the very beginning of this book. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And here, after all of these events, Thomas is declaring it so. Tom Wright says, nobody has ever seen God. What does that look like when it's actually happening? Well, it looks like this. And off we go, through Galilee and Jerusalem, back and forth, moments of glory and doom woven together until they meet at the cross. Now, a week after Easter, it looks like this. A muddled, dogged disciple, determined not to be taken in, standing on his right to believe anything until he's got solid evidence, confronted by a smiling Jesus who has just walked in, as he did the previous week, through a locked door. This is what it looks like. I just love that description. I heard this recently and it's really stuck with me. Fear and faith have one thing in common. They both believe in the future that hasn't happened yet. Thomas's doubt was tied to his fear of a future that had not yet happened for him. Would he get the chance to see Jesus the way his friends had? Or was Jesus gone from earth and his life forever? He hadn't seen Jesus yet. And you know his heart had to be breaking to see what his friends had seen. His faith had turned to fear when the disciples ran up to him with news of them seeing Jesus in the locked room. 
And I picture Thomas standing there in disbelief, hypothetically holding his own heart, which is in a million pieces in his hands, when he responds with those words that earned him the doubting nickname. I won't believe it until I see it. I'm wounded so deep, I won't believe it until I see his wounds and touch them. Because I am so broken, I'll never be whole again after all of this. There was an all-out fight going on in his soul. The disciples had all the doors locked the week before because their faith had turned to fear. Fear of a future that was unknown and nothing at all what they expected it to be. And them being locked up physically seems to reveal how they're locked up emotionally and spiritually. A lockdown will do that. I know this historic season of lockdowns and quarantine has revealed a lot of things that I was unaware were in my own heart. Fear, distrust, worry. I found this lockdown has given my faith a run for its money as fear has tried to take up some residency. That place where fear and faith wrestle within our hearts is a vulnerable place. If you've ever known that place intimately, then you know you can allow it to do one of two things. You can let it harden you and become rocky soil where no living thing can grow. And you can let it humble you and become fertile for the things that God wants to plant there. Even in fear, the humble ear can hear the voice of Jesus saying, I'm just waiting for you to ask to be made whole. When that breeze blows and the fertile, humble heart feels it, there is no amount of fear, no number of locked doors that can hold that breeze back. Jesus is in the business of knocking down locked doors. He's in the business of finding his way into the locked rooms of our hearts. Don't be afraid of your doubt or your fear. Those things do not deter Jesus. Here he is, risen from the dead, ready to make his exit and ascend into heaven. But he stops and he says to the disciples and to Thomas specifically, there's just one more thing. What parts of your heart have you locked up to keep me out of? How are you still unbelieving? I invite you to consider those places of your heart where Jesus or others have been locked out of. If you've done that, I know it's for good reason. It's out of pain or felt need for self-protection. Jesus knows that too. Would you consider talking to Jesus about those tender, locked up places Maybe being locked up at home so much lately has revealed some emotional or spiritual places in your heart that are locked up. Jesus wants to be present there with you, to impart peace and to foster faith. It's fertile ground. Let him in there so he can water it. We're gonna continue to worship and I just invite you to talk to Jesus about what he's trying to do in your heart this morning, about what he's trying to say to you. I would love to pray over us, and then let's continue in worship and just engaging with God. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us, for dying on the cross, 
for rising again, for your presence with us, even when we try to lock you out. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to open the door to you, to let you in. I pray, God, that you would make our hearts a fertile place where you can plant the things that you want to grow there and that we would trust you to let you do that. In Jesus' name, amen.